The following podcast contains general advice only and does not take into account your individual circumstances. Listeners should speak to an accountant or financial advisor before making any investment decision. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Market Pulse podcast. Rest in peace, the bull market. And wow, what a week. I mean, there's almost... Not much point in doing a weekly podcast at the moment because everything's changing so quickly. It's changing by the day, it's changing by the hour, and there's so much more information, but we'll get into that in just a second. A friendly reminder, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts now, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. And if you have any questions for the show, you can email marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com. I also have a Twitter handle, which is at marketpulsepod, so not podcast on the end because that's too many letters, so at marketpulsepod, all lowercase. And I bring that up because we actually have our first first listener question this week, which we'll do right at the end, so that's pretty exciting. But, you know, as I said from the start, wow, there's no shortage of statistics about just how much the market fell this week. A few of the ones I picked out, so on... Monday, the ASX 200 fell by 7.33% in a single day. At that stage, there hadn't been a worse day since October 2008. In the US, they were down pretty heavy on on their Monday trade. Then they were up, and then they were down, and then they were down even harder, and then they were back up on Friday. It was a roller coaster, to say the least. Uh, In the US, the last time the S&P 500 had a 9% route on one day, which they had on Thursday. And then only to turn around and gain that back, which they did on Friday, was the last time that happened was in 1931, which is during the Great Depression. So the bull market is officially over and we have awoken the bear. Um, And you probably would have potentially seen that in headlines and things like this, just a a quick little explanation. Bull market means effectively that uh, the market is going up and bear market means the market's going down. It is it is technically when the market has come down from uh, its latest high by 20%. That's when they call it a, a bear a bear market. And a bull market's the, effect, effectively the reverse. So when it's gone up at least 20% from the, from the bottom. And that's when you hear people say, oh, I'm bullish on this or I'm bearish on that, which kind of means that they think it's going to go one way or the other it comes from the way that bulls and bears tend to fight so a bear stands up and swipes its paw down so that's the market going down and a bull market rears its horns up oh sorry a bull rears its horns up um, and that's how they get the term the bull market yeah a bit of a bit of a tangent there but let's look at the markets for the week that was the asx 200 down 10.9 percent very Obviously, a very bad week. The S&P 500 down 8.86%. So that's in the US, top 500 companies in the US. And the NASDAQ down 8.16%. So it was another red week. And it's well, it's been a red week since I started this podcast every single week. So for the last three weeks, I'm hoping that we get a, we get a green week eventually sometime soon so I can stop playing the, the disappointed sound effect noise that kicks over. I thought we'd start with Monday because Monday was what really kicked it off and it honestly feels like ages ago now considering how much new information has come out and how quickly things have changed in the meantime. I mean all sectors across the Australian market and and the US market uh, were falling on Monday but the hardest hit 
were those exposed to oil. So in the Australian markets, there's companies such as Woodside Petroleum, uh, Santos, Oil Search, they fell quite hard. Oil Search shed a third of its entire value in a single day. And at the same time, earlier in the week, Westpac's chief economist, Bill Evans, came out and this was an end of trade on Monday and he stated that he expects the Australian economy to slide into recession in the first two quarters as the impact of supply chains, tourism and mining industries take full effect. And it's important to note his forecast was based on no fiscal stimulus, he said at the time. But I think the market's definitely pricing in the fact that we're entering recession. If not, we probably already are in one right now. Going back to what I was mentioning before, Monday was this collision of two factors. So you've you've had the continued fear of global economic impact due to coronavirus, and then you have a, a massive fall in oil prices. And this comes off the back of production agreements between OPEC, which stands for the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. I had to look that up because I've never actually <laughs> known what that stood for. But the agreements between OPEC and Russia fell apart. I thought I'd put a bit of a backstory on that because oil prices have already been quite wobbly and under pressure due to the coronavirus. So we've, we've talked about in the, the last couple of podcasts, you know, the impact that the virus has had on travel. The oil price was already wobbly due to expectations of just reduced flights, so reduced need for aviation fuel and gasoline. And whenever the economy slows down, generally speaking, the demand for oil slows down as well. So the, the, the price was already under pressure. And basically, Saudi Arabia, which is the biggest part of OPEC, so the biggest oil producer out of OPEC, they met with Russia, who Russia are not a part of OPEC. Uh, to, and Russia, sorry for context, is also one of the biggest top five oil producers in the world. They met with Russia to talk about slowing the supply, supply of production. And as you can imagine, think about it in just a classic, you know, year one economics lecture. So supply and demand, if the price was falling because of, you know, re- reduced expectation that that we're not going to need as much oil because, you know, there's lots of cancelled flights and things like this. If they cut supply, that'll hopefully stabilize the price uh, and, and not continue to actually drive the price down. So Saudi Arabia met with Russia. Russia basically said no. Uh, it's It's been reported that Russia is is doing this to take aim at US oil producers because they're the ones that will suffer really hard if there's a, a dramatic fall in oil prices. And Saudi answered this, Saudi Arabia, sorry, answered this and said, well, you know, we're happy to play that game and we'll slash our prices as well. And then we went into this this price war and that's why the oil price fell so hard. You know, like I said, it's, it's already been under pressure. I guess one silver lining for consumers is you're starting to see that filter through to the petrol bowser so we i think i checked this morning and the dollar 14 was about the cheapest i'd seen it we might see it get even closer to a dollar in the future and yeah i hope that makes sense about why you know the oil price affected the markets so much and so when you go back to those companies on the australian stock exchange like woodside petroleum santos oil search they tend to obviously do a bit better as a business when the price of oil is not falling so their, their whole operating margin is based on barrels of oil uh, on the flip side you know companies like aquantus they would do better based on a, on a lower oil price but they're already under a lot of pressure at the moment anyway so hope that makes sense
We also had the Australian government come out and announce a stimulus package. So this has been something that has been anticipated for quite a while. So they announced a $7.6 billion economic stimulus package to help tackle a possible recession. Now, the last recession, like the technical term for a recession was 28 years ago. I thought I'd also take this moment to explain exactly what a recession is, how it's actually measured, and, and that is it's two simultaneous, sorry, two back-to-back -back quarters of negative growth as measured by GDP. So that's gross domestic product. And if I hit the pause button on that, when, when I was at uni, we basically learnt a relatively simple equation of what GDP actually is. So we learnt that GDP equals C, which is consumer spending, plus G, which is government spending, plus I, which is private investment and business investment, and plus X, which is net exports. So we'll break that down so you've got GDP equals C plus G plus I plus X. So C, consumer spending. So that could be me going down to a coffee shop just down the road and, and buying a coffee. So that's me adding to the economy by purchasing that coffee. G is government spending. So that's, you know, that, that's government investment in spending on, say, infrastructure, for example. I is private investment or business investment. So let's say that coffee shop that I go down to that's around the corner from my house, let's say they buy a new coffee machine. So that's them buying some machinery, something for their business. And then X is net exports. So that is everything that Australia exports minus what it imports. So that's what GDP is comprised of. So they measure that every quarter. And if there's two back-to-back -back quarters of negative growth, then we are technically in a recession. That's not to say that we... So I mentioned before that we haven't had an actual recession in 28 years. That doesn't mean that we haven't had quarters of negative growth in the last 28 years. We just haven't had two of them back to back. So we've actually had a couple quarters of negative growth. We were saved in the during the GFC for actually going into recession. We, we did have one quarter, I believe, of, of negative. Uh, we might have had two, but we just didn't have uh, two back to back. And so that's why we didn't actually technically enter a recession. And so what did this stimulus package target that the government announced? So I've taken this information from the D Treasury Department's website, which is on the 14th of the 3rd. There's a, there's a few primary things that they're aiming at. So firstly, increasing instant asset write-off for businesses by lifting the threshold from 30,000 to 150,000. And they're sort of widening the net for, for more businesses to actually use that asset write-off. Uh, there's gonna be a one-off payment of $750 to social security recipients. Uh, there's going to be cash flow help for small, medium-sized businesses as well as wage subsidies for those who have apprentices and trainees. Uh, and they've also set aside a bit of a war chest, uh, I think at $1 billion, to deploy into regions over the coming months. So they'll use us at their discretion and they want to use that money basically to help communities or areas of Australia that are specifically hit hard from the coronavirus. And I believe they're talking things like tourism, agriculture sector, education sector. So... They're going to wait and see with that part of the money. Um, so I guess if they, there's a particular regions of Australia that are impacted from a tourism point of view, I guess that's going to go into those communities to help keep them alive. And just remember, this comes off the back of the RBA cutting interest rates last week, as we discussed. And I, I don't think I mentioned this at the time, but the the need for government stimulus was, was definitely there in, in the market and and a lot of economists were, were more or less saying the same thing, that it, it definitely needed to come from the government because, and this is my personal opinion, but I'm not sure what 
the impact of the rate cut that the RBA put through the other week really will do. It's The rates are so low already. Um, they, they brought it down a little bit more. I'm not sure... Def, I'm, I feel pretty confident that that's not going to actually save the economy and we needed the government to step in and actually provide a, a stimulus package. Uh, that's, again, my opinion. Um, but, yeah, basically I, I, wasn't, I wasn't fully on board with the, the RBA actually cutting rates because I, I really wasn't sure when it's been down this low, you know, what's it really going to do at that point? Um, and this is complete anecdotal evidence and and not a, a good survey at all, but talking to friends of mine who have mortgages, I don't think they're actually pumping that extra money that they're saving on their, their interest rate into the economy. I think they're tending to actually continue their normal home loan repayments and hopefully pay off a little bit extra with that money, which is not what they want. They want they want that savings to actually help the go into the economy and help it. But people are worried, you know, consumer sentiment is quite low. So not really sure what that uh, RBA interest rate cut would have really done. And this is definitely the move that the government needed to make in terms of putting pumping some money into the economy to keep us afloat. So this week you've seen continued fallout from the coronavirus. I think it's likely, again, this is my opinion, I think it's likely that schools will probably be closed in the next week. You know, we're seeing, and maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, the information will be incorrect i'm recording this on a sunday morning 15th of march but you're seeing you know gatherings uh with of larger than 500 people as of monday to be uh, banned or postponed so that means like say large music concerts you know sporting matches things like that and obviously that brings with it an economic impact as you know people are, are less likely to be out there and um, spending money the u.s fed so the basically the equivalent of, of the australian reserve bank so the u.s fed is meant to meet this week which is a scheduled meeting they're actually expected to cut rates again and that comes after their emergency rate cuts the other week which as we remember kind of spooked the market and so what are some company moves so you see the impact going to the retail sector so you've got apple they've announced they're closing every store outside of greater china for the next two weeks so if you've got a local apple store that might be in a westfield or, or, or in the city they'll be closing for two weeks Cruise lines are, are getting absolutely hammered. So you've got Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Norwegian, MSC suspending services all, all around the world. There's one here in, in Brisbane that's in the port, I believe, and it, it was meant to leave on Saturday, so yesterday, and it's it's basically just staying there for now. I, I think they've decided to cut services for about 30 days at least at this stage. If you look at the Carnival Cruise Line's share price, so they're an American uh, traded company, so they trade on the New York Stock Exchange. About six months ago, uh, shares in Carnival Cruise Lines were about 50 US dollars. They're now $17.58. So that tells you just how much they've fallen, almost like 70% there. Flight centers starting to slash costs. Uh, they've even announced that they're closing about 100 underperforming stores and moving those staff from those stores into other areas of the business. Well, interesting enough though, because and I mentioned the flight center thing because a lot of businesses, especially those businesses in the travel center, sorry, in the travel sector, have come out and said, well, the guidance we gave about you know what we're going to do this year in terms of revenue and operating profit, just just forget that now because you know everything's been thrown up in the air with the coronavirus, and it's just you know whatever we thought was going to happen, 
six months ago going into 2020 is, is just not going to happen now. And I noticed Zipco, which is a buy now, pay later uh, trade, uh, Australian stock exchange traded company, so very similar to an afterpay, they've actually come out and said they haven't actually observed any material, material impact to their business from COVID-19. They did acknowledge that they obviously expect there to be implications for the economy nonetheless, but at the moment they haven't observed any material impact uh, to their business from this, which is kind of curious and because generally speaking, when you enter like a recession sort of period, uh, there'll be lower consumer spending and you, you sort of wonder whether maybe businesses like that will actually still be somewhat okay because people might be more inclined to put it on uh, a purchase on a buy now, pay later because then they can spread that purchase out over say um, several weeks or so, or a couple months. And I also want to keep giving some examples of stocks that are actually doing well at the moment and or at least remaining steady during this time because it's it's interesting to follow and it's it's good chance to, to I guess wrap your brain around you know some of the companies out there that are somewhat uh, almost I, I hate to use this term but I, I remember someone using the term recession proof but there, there really isn't such a thing but there are companies that are better at weathering a recession than, than others. So like one industry that's bad at weathering recession is say luxury cars or even cars in general because you know if consumer sentiment's low and consumer spending falls, people are much less likely to, to go out and buy those big high-level purchases, right? But if you say have a yogurt that you always like to eat for breakfast and you go to Coles and, and buy that yogurt every weekend for, for the week, you're probably still likely to go and do that, right? You, that's probably not going to be something that you cut quite quickly. And so sometimes those staples, so like eggs and, and things like this, that they continue to do okay. But one that I've pointed out is Domino's. And their, their share price has has been pretty good over the last few months. They, have, they haven't really suffered like the rest of the market has. And you know, this probably has a lot to do with their $5 value pizzas. I mean, the people are definitely going to be going out and getting them. They're more likely to do that and opt for delivery than say, go out to a nice restaurant, which is crowded and full of other people that might infect them with COVID-19. Um, and so, yeah, Domino's is actually doing doing all right. Another company that's doing well is Campbell Soup Company in the US. They've remained pretty steady. As you can imagine, I think especially with panic buying going on, People are more likely to just grab cans of soup and, you know, they'll last forever in the pantry, of course. And so they've actually done pretty well. They're, they're generally a pretty steady staple. Uh, they're not the kind of thing that people cut out of their lives because it's, you know, it's quite affordable and it's, it's a lot cheaper alternative to, say, eating out or uh, eating at more expensive meals. And so we actually have our first question for the week, which is really exciting. So friendly reminder, listener questions can go to marketpulsepodcast at gmail.com or you can go on Twitter and at marketpulsepod. This question comes from Thomas in Queensland. I've noticed that you have recently talked about two markets in particular, the ASX and the US markets. I was wondering why you reference and compare these two markets specifically. Also, are there any other countries that you believe have a major impact on how we should invest here in Australia? It's a good question. Thank you very much, Thomas, for you, the I guess, first person to ask a question on the podcast. So that's a medal to wear around your neck. I talk about the ASX in the US, I guess, from a, from a personal bias point of view, I find it the most interesting. I don't 
don't pay too much attention to say uh, the European markets or, or wider Asia. Um, so that's somewhat of an answer. But in terms of why say the US as opposed to just the Australian markets, so the US is interesting. It's the it's the biggest market in the world in terms of value, and generally it tends to lead other markets. So often when Australia is waking up in the morning, people tend to look at what the US markets did overnight while we we're asleep, and they can tend to impact the way that the Australian markets move that day as well. So if the US markets have a very good day, for example, then generally Australia will probably follow that. And that's just that's just the way it's been for quite a long time. And so I think the impact that the US markets have is very significant and worth following. In terms of are there countries out there that have a, a major impact on how we should invest here in Australia? That's a that's a really good question. And it kind of just at the end of the day comes down to what you're investing in. For example, there are companies on the Australian Stock Exchange. So, and you, you think, oh, well, are they only based in Australia and do they only have their business in Australia? And your answer is no. So a lot of them have, I guess, exposure to other countries. So one that's a really good example was, is infant formula shares. So the likes of A2 Milk, Bubs, Bellamy's was recently uh, before it was going into a takeover, but they have huge markets uh, and buyers in China. So they out of the Asian markets, they get a lot of business. So it's obviously worth looking at consumer spending and consumer sentiment in, say, China when you're uh, investing in an Australian company like A2 Milk and how they're actually growing that brand and growing that business in China. Uh, there are a couple other companies that do quite well in China too. So Treasury Wine Estate. So most people don't know that name, but they basically own other famous brands. So probably Penfolds is their most famous brand. They have um, markets in a small bit of market in the US and then they also are very popular in China again as well. And then the other thing that in terms of what has a major impact on how we should invest here in Australia is companies in Australia that have foreign currency exposure. So a good one that I think of is ResMed. So they're in the healthcare sector. They pro provide and produce those sleep apnea devices. Now they get a lot of sales in the US and I could be wrong. I, I should have fact-checked this before, but I think that the dividend that they pay comes in in US dollars, but that's because they earn a lot of their income in US dollars. Another healthcare stock is CSL, Cochlear. They actually get sales out of the US. Um, and then I'm thinking of banks, so Macquarie's investment bank, they get a lot of foreign currency exposure because they have investments overseas. So I guess the simple answer to your question is have a look at what the company does you know, in their reports and in their uh, investor presentations, they'll talk about whether, you know, are they solely selling to the Australian market? Is, they, is this just a domestic thing or, or are they currently expanding overseas or they've got operations overseas? And that's going to, I guess, tell you whether you should think about those markets that they're, they're operating is outside of Australia. Well, thank you very much for the question and thank you very much for tuning in to the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion. Just remember to subscribe to the podcast and, and give it a rating if you can. It really helps in terms of boosting the podcast's appearance on these apps. Thank you very much and I'll see you next week.